Welcome to Leaders of the West, a podcast for innovators and changemakers. I'm your host, Jesse Jarvis, the founder of Of the West, and I'm sitting down with agriculturalists, entrepreneurs, executives, and everyone in between with the goal of digging into the strategies, mindsets, and lessons that have been crucial to the success of ag and Western. Whether you're carrying on the next generation of your family's operation, starting something from scratch, or determined to climb up the leadership ladder, we're going to inspire you to continue to dream big, growing not just you, but the future of agriculture and Western as a whole. Let's go. Oh, I am so happy to have you guys here for this week's episode of Leaders of the West. This is one that I have had my sights set on for a very long time, and I'm so happy that Amanda agreed to sit down and chat with you guys. So I already gave her name away. Today, we're sitting down with Amanda Kimes, the co-founder of Kimes Ranch. So Amanda, alongside her husband, Matt, created Kimes Ranch in March of 2009. And their story of how they started and how they have scaled their business is one that is just so inspiring to me. And today we are going to talk about what it's like to scale a business and grow a business. So for those of you who are on the business side of things, whether you are in someone else's business or you are an entrepreneur who is working on your own, you know, if you are in a multi-generational family operation or you're a first-generation operation, there is absolutely a takeaway for you guys. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today, Amanda. In your own words, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the story of how Kimes Ranch came to be? Yes. Actually, oddly enough, Matt and I, my husband, we sat down for breakfast yesterday and we ended up retelling the story to our, the guy that serves us our bagel and uh, he owns a little bagel shop. Anyhow, we, we started telling the story and can you believe it's going to be 15 years that we started this business in March? 15 years will be how long we've been doing this. And that's impossible when you're in your twenties, first of all. So I can't believe that I'm old enough to say I've been running a business for 15 years. And that also means that we're about to celebrate our 15 year anniversary. So that's, those are like two huge accomplishments that I didn't even realize were happening. So we have that going on, but yes, Matt and I started Kimes Ranch 15 years ago, and it was actually Longhorn Jean Company. And we started the, the really condensed version is we were having a bad day. I didn't enjoy the job I was in. Matt didn't enjoy the job he was in. We called each other and this was literally like a Tuesday and said, you know, I don't like what we're doing. If we don't start, let me back up even one more step. While we were dating, we would have that, you know, hopes and dreams conversation. What do you want to be? You know, what's your favorite color? If you could go anywhere, where would it be? You know, we always had those kind of hopeful conversations and something we would continuously ask each other is, what do you want to do? Like what, what, what do you want to be when you grow up, if you will? And we always wanted to start a brand together and build something that became bigger than us. Like if Matt and I weren't in the picture, the brand would continue on without us. That was always the goal is like something you could pass on to your family. So speeding back up to this Tuesday, Matt um, and I had a bad day at work and he swears that I called him and I swear that he called me. But as fate would have it, we both had a bad day and called one another and said, if we don't start now, we'll never start. We'll never do. We'll never pick up and, and start our dream. So by Friday, we had driven my little Nissan Rogue over to Los Angeles and started knocking on doors and trying to figure out how to start a jean company. And it was 
you know, knocking on doors, trying to find denim, trying to find a sewer, trying to figure out if I could do this myself. We bought pattern paper and fabric and thread. I was going to sew these first prototypes, which never came to fruition because I can't sew, but I sure thought I could do it. You know, I'd made like a homemade costume before I was certain I could make jeans. I can't. We found that out. La la la. Here we are. I still don't sew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was really it. It was like Tuesday to Friday. And um, that was in March, March of 2009. And by June, we had our first 300 pair of jeans we ever made. We had 150 Betty jeans, which is still one of our best sellers, and 150 Barney jeans, which Barney was one of our was our first men's style, took a hiatus and is now returning to us as a jean style. So there we stand. That is so amazing. Well, and I will also say that is the very abbreviated version because a whole lot has happened in that 15 years. But today, what I really want to dig into is the topic of scaling a business because I look to you and Matt and think that you guys have done a phenomenal job in doing that. And I think a lot of people think that it is a you know an overnight success. And I, I think in, in all businesses, we realize it is a very bumpy road. But I know a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs who are in that phase right now. They've created something, they've taken it to market, they've proved that it works, and then they think, now, now what do I do? Because there's so many different opportunities and avenues you can go down. So in a past interview, you said that in 2014 was when things really started moving forward for you guys. The brand was created in 2009, 2008. So that means you guys worked your tails off for five years before you felt like you saw big progress. What were those first five years like? Those first five years were amazing. They were incredible because it was just Matt and I and no rules. You know, we had a how to book for dummies, as we all have. We've all read that book, but we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't, there was no rules to follow. So we didn't know any repercussions of the decisions we made. So I think that as the scalability happens, you start to see what can happen if if a path isn't followed correctly and you start to get scared or second guess yourself or do all of those things. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck or scared, right? But those early days, there's no rule. It's the Wild West and you're just making things up as you go and you're trying everything and you're excited. You're so excited and you're so willing to tell the world what you've just this labor of love that you're doing and your passion is there. And not to say that our passion isn't there anymore, but you become a little wiser and a little more patient with your decision-making and things like that, right? As we get into something more and the early days, it's like a, it's like a new love. It's like a new boyfriend, right? You're just so excited and you're on this lust of a rocket ship. And so it's really exciting, but you know, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any money to start a business. We barely were paying our rent and we, it was a struggle. So we would sell jeans anywhere and everywhere that we could in a motor home, at a yard sale, at a trunk show. We couldn't afford to do trade shows. Let's go back to like the early days. You couldn't afford to pay those bills and go and put the booth out. We didn't even have a booth. So it was a lot of cardboard boxes in the back of a car selling jeans, showing up at ranches, praying that people would like your product. So those early days were very difficult, but in hindsight, they were so amazing because they were so just full of hope. And, uh, you know, we talk about that now, how we always used to, you know, you always say we're going to miss this. And I do. I miss those early days to a point, to a point. I miss those early days. Well, I think so many people who start businesses, like the joke is you have to be a little bit delusional because if you knew everything that was going to happen, 
you probably wouldn't do it, but it's the knowledge you don't have is actually kind of a benefit because then you go all in. Absolutely. It's that blind naivety, like that, that unknowing feeling you're going to succeed beyond, you know, reasonable doubt. And you can't explain it to anybody, but when you sit down and say, I started a gene company to your friends and they all know your financial situation, you get a lot of looks through the room and it's really difficult for people that love you to support you when they think you've lost your mind. (laughs) So that's really difficult and it takes a strong constitution to continue past that, which is, I think, really important. And I think all entrepreneurs have that, right? All entrepreneurs are a little bit crazy, right? We all have that there's a little bit something not quite right because we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're going to succeed at whatever we do. It's that confidence, ego, cockiness, whatever you want to call it, but that's what drives us forward. Um, So entrepreneurs have to be a little bit not normal and we're good with that, I think. Well, and what you said too about not necessarily having the support of your friends and in a way that's also when you need the support the most because you don't know what the heck you're doing and then your, your friends think that you've lost your marbles that's a tough spot to be in. It's really difficult. We were, um, you know, our business is a little unique in that we retired all of our friends from the get go. So we work closely with our closest friends, which um, has always been a unique challenge with the business. But early on, when we, you know, started hiring people uh, about five years after that 2014 point, they were really the people that had seen us struggle and really seen the blood, sweat, and tears that we had put into it. And at that point, they knew that if we were going to work that hard at something, that we were going to stick to it. And they believed in us and believed in what we were doing. So they wanted to be a part of it at that point. So that's really who we hired was everyone tells you never hire your friends. And we completely ignored that rule and went and did it anyway. Well, I'm excited that you mentioned that. I want to talk about that in a little bit because I am always just so impressed with your team and the relationships that you guys have both personally and professionally. And it strikes me as you guys just have an incredible culture. But so let's go back to 2014. What was it that really changed for you guys? And how did you start to feel like things really were moving forward at that point? In 2014, um, there had been a lot that had happened with Matt and I and some we had tried to get into bed with some partners and, and business dealings and those, they didn't work out. And that's a whole nother podcast, but those didn't work out. And at the end of 2014 was, was when we were able to, to do what we needed to do. I kind of, kind of all really all get into with that. However, we had been toiling for so long and I don't really know what happened. Everyone asked that what made it go. It just kind of started to, it just kind of like things broke free and every iron we had in the fire really just kind of started to take off. We rebranded at that time from Longhorn Jean Company or LJC Apparel or even Lonehorn for a hot minute to Kimes Ranch. That decision came. Lindsay Periton, who's our chief marketing officer, um, was our first hire in 2014. And she sat us down and was like, we need a mission statement and we need all of the things that we had never done before Matt and I, and we needed to put our name on it. And she was the reason that we put our name on it because she believed fully that if you put your name on something, then people will believe in it more because you can't fail now, right? You can't make wrong decisions because everybody will know. So it really it really means something at that point if your name's on it. And that was a scary move too. We had to really think about that, you know, but it was the right the right call ultimately. And here we are. So once Lindsay came into the picture and 
the business side of things started to develop. We started to structure things more like a business and not so much like a craft project. And I mean that because it was just Matt and I, right, going nine miles an hour and you're just throwing things against the wall. And then Lindsay came in and really helped us gain our focus. And, you know, then we started making hires from there very slowly. I mean, we only had maybe five employees for two years at that point, and then a few more, maybe eight, maybe 10, maybe 15. And as of yesterday, I think we're at 92 or something. So 92, that a is a lot. We grew a lot. That is absolutely <laughs> wild to think in the last 10 years or nine years, you've grown at such a rapid pace. Mm-hmm. And that's just like on prem. That doesn't include external, you know, contractors, sales reps that are not in house, things of that nature. So, so let's go from 2014 to to now. What are some monumental things that have happened that have helped you scale, or those little things that you think at the time you didn't see it as a big deal, but now looking back, because we all know hindsight is super clear, that you think really moved the needle forward. I think that when we started to grow, and I I just said this, and I'll, I'll say it again in case anybody's unsure of a path they should go on. Put every iron in your fire and don't be afraid to overload your plate, which is funny because I'm about to tell you that you shouldn't overload your plate. But in the early days, you must, right? You must overload your plate and you must put everything in the fire that you think is tinder to get it to go. Because at some point, something's going to go. Now for us, they all kind of took off at once. But that's really what's kind of moved that needle. As you said, we had some things happen that we weren't expecting. Obviously, us being on the hit show Yellowstone. Thank you, Taylor Sheridan. That was a huge success. That happened simultaneously as did many other things. And they were all just little things. There wasn't one moment where we went, aha, that was it. It was just all of those little Tinder moments that just came together. Tinder like flame kindling, not like a Tinder like I wiped left, just to be clear there. <laughs> but we, um, you know, we we had all of these things happening and it just, it just went, and I, I hate to say it, COVID was a huge contributor to that. And I think a lot of people will say that as well, but the economy did some weird things during that time. And ultimately I think most people came out on the right end of it because when you'll tell everyone they can't do for so long, when they come out, all they want to do is go forward and hard and buy and spend and go places. So it really took us to the next level during that time. That's really when our significant growth happened was from 19 until 22. Like those three years were pure chaos for Kimes Ranch. Well, a lot of people in Western sports and apparel on the Western side of things, I think kind of feel the same way because so many people, obviously you couldn't go and socialize unless it was an outdoor event and Western sports in general blew up. Yellowstone was a huge moment. But I think that, you know, your irons in the fire, it's very similar to a charge of dynamite, right? Or a stick of dynamite. If you want to move a mountain or blow up a mountain, one stick at one time is not going to do much. But when you have 10 of them that can kind of go off simultaneously, that's when the most progress is made. So that's a very important thing to note when it comes to having all of those irons in the fire. They're also going to help the others stay hot as well. Absolutely. That's a good analogy. That's a great analogy. There's first time for everything. <laughs> so let's jump over to hiring because you mentioned that earlier. How was hiring part of your process for scaling? And what hires did you determine to be the most important to make? Because I know a lot of people who are in those early years when they're trying to make those first few hires, 
they need everybody on their team, but they can only afford one person or one or two people. So how did you guys figure out what was the most important role or roles to hire for? There was absolutely, and I know no one, this is not going to help anybody. There was no rhyme or reason. When we grew that fast, it was literally grab the neighbor kid, grab your grandma and grab anybody. We just needed boots on the ground. We had a huge hiring spree and that's not wise. I don't want to say that what we did was wise. It was just a necessity. And I don't mean it wasn't wise because everyone was insurmountable and I couldn't, I couldn't have done it without those people that came in and, and really helped save the day during that growth. But having a plan, an organized plan of, of who you're going to hire and the, the hierarchy within that is absolutely something that people should consider. If you have the ability while you're scaling to slow down to make a plan, I would absolutely recommend that. We weren't able to do that. And so we had to just hire, hire, hire. And then what we did was we did slow down. Um, what I mean by that is this year, as the example, we grew, I mean, we had Jesse, we had levels of like 200% growth in one year, 175% growth in one year, 220% growth. It was just compounding on top of itself. So there was no time to slow down or really think about what was happening. This year, we intentionally slowed down. And it that's scary to, to make a plan at the start of a year and say, I don't want to grow. I don't want to achieve new numbers. I want to slow down and I want to wrap my head around what's happened. And that was a very deliberate choice. And it was terrifying because you don't want to lose that momentum. But Matt and I and our team all collectively sat down and said, until we can get good as a business at this new level that we're at, we're never going to be able to continue growing to the levels that we want to achieve. So we had to slow down and say, this is okay. We're going to tell people no. That's such a terrible word to tell people no. But we had to say, no, we don't want to grow with you this year. We want to just level out. And a lot of those, those weren't difficult conversations once they started to happen. I think people really appreciated us for that, but it was difficult to know that you were going to have to have those conversations. So where I'm going with this is this year, we've really taken a step back to restructure. So all of these bodies we've brought in, we've now decided, hey, we never gave you a full itemized, you know, job plan of what your description is for us. So let's go back and do it backwards. So we had to hire some more people, people with experience far beyond myself and Matt and take and help kind of like build a hierarchy within the business and reorganize departments, help build departments, have a team of people around us that help move a department forward. And, um, you know, this is where we had to take the load off of everyone that had been with us through that, we had to take a load off their plate. So we over overfilled their plate and now it was time to empty their plate. So we really, there's a lot of back and forth and um, it's that, that same saying of, you know, two steps forward is three steps back. And it really does feel like that when you're trying to scale. But um, I will say, don't be afraid to take a step back so that you can scale appropriately. Well, I think that that's such a key piece too, is all growth isn't necessarily good growth long term. And so you really do have to have to be okay with saying, okay, we need to pump the brakes a little bit and just make sure that we can maintain this forever. Because what's the point of scaling if it's not going to last? Absolutely. And that was where, you know, Matt and I had to go back to what was our original goal when we launched the brand back in 2009. And our goal was always to be a lifestyle brand and a legacy brand. And we wanted to compete with the likes of 
you know, Levi Strauss, who's been around since the 1800s. We wanted to be a brand that was going to be here for years and years to come. We never wanted to be a flash in the pan. We never wanted to be a trend. We wanted to be a really long life cycle brand. And so for us to do that, we had to be comfortable with maybe slowing down the growth and plateauing for a while and then growing again. And plateau is not a bad word. It's not a scary word. It's just, that's where you are. That's what we have to do. And then we're going to be able to to scale and grow again. And when I say that we're, I'm going to use the word again, plateauing, we're absolutely not. I mean, we're, we're still scaling and we're still having to tell people no, and we're still having these opportunities come to us and we're just kind of moving them down a few months. What we really had to do this year too is, um, you know, some people are going to wonder about this when you grow and you want to scale is your infrastructure. We've had to take this entire year and completely redo every element of our infrastructure from our warehousing, our inventory systems, our accounting, our customer service, the way that we market, the way that we organize those things, the way that we organize our endorsees and our athletes and the product in which we send them. Every element of what we do, we outgrew. It is band-aided together. And so we've had to keep the ship sailing with band-aids simultaneously while building new infrastructure and making sure that we're doing it right while saying no to opportunities, while trying to run a business. So it's been a really, that's had its own set of challenges and it's been a different kind of stress this year is what we're facing. But again, I'm going to go back to it was so important for us to slow down so that we could really kind of assess the damage that takes place when you grow or when you scale. So this brings us to a really good point. And as far as giving advice to others, how do you know if growth isn't necessarily good? And I'm not saying that your growth hasn't been good because obviously it's been great. But what are what are opportunities that are maybe like great then but not sustainable long term? Or how does somebody know what's the right decision to make there? Do you go with your gut or what? How do you make those decisions? I think that absolutely you have to go with your gut first um, and have a strong constitution for what you believe to be right versus wrong. If something's too good to be true, it usually is. And if the deal can't wait, then it usually isn't meant to be either. Like most people have the ability to be patient with you while you think something through. But if you're getting the pressure put on you to make a decision now, then that's not meant to be. I'm going to say it again, and I say it in every podcast. If the person you're working with is an asshole, don't do business with them. Flat out, don't work with people that you don't like. That is something that I'm like, I strongly believe in that. If you are not happy with the relationship, it is not meant to be, and it will not survive long term. So make sure that the relationship is equitable for both parties. Go with your gut feeling. And if it's too good to be true, it is 99% of the time. When we scaled and grew and had opportunities come to us from other very, very reputable vendors, and they said, we would like to place you in our store. And these are large stores, meaning multiple locations. They want to come in and they want to test you. They want to try you in a small amount and make sure it's successful. And you do that and you, you scale with them. If they're a bad retailer or location or partner, whatever you want to call them, they don't want to give you that opportunity. I don't need, I'm not calling anybody out. That hasn't happened to us. I've only heard stories within the industry, but I'm saying the the people you want to do business with are going to scale with you. They're going to understand that you need that time to grow with them. Um, And that's with, with anything that doesn't just revolve around apparel. That's any type of scale. I mean, I'm sure you have analogies with that with cattle as well. I mean, you should scale 
kind of slowly and moderately with whatever partners you're going into with. We had a couple instances this year where we were able to move into some new retailers that had an amazing opportunity for growth. And we said, nope, we're going to do 10 stores or we're going to do 20 and that's it. We're going to stay there until we're comfortable with the relationship and moving forward. And you know what? They all said, great, tell us when you're ready. And so they were really great people to work with. So that's where it goes back to your gut, people and the relationships, and then, um, you know, don't make hasty decisions. Ooh, that was really, really good advice. I think even I needed that. So I love that. Okay. So <laughs> let's go back to the team side of things because we talked about this earlier. You guys have such an incredibly strong relationship with one another. And business advice is you don't hire your friends, but you guys have, and you have such a strong company because of that. So how do you lead your employees and create a strong connection while also maintaining that business relationship? What, what advice do you have there? I think that communication is key and honesty and not being afraid to hurt each other's feelings. You know, I think that we're unique in that our relationships are generational. And I mean that we're like our grandparents, our parents grew up together, our children are growing up together. So there's a little bit of almost a sibling, a sibling relationship where there's days where there's arguing in the office amongst one another. And then as you walk out the door, you're like, I'll see you at soccer practice. So, I mean, there's just a lot of times where you're, it's kind of comical, the relationships that we have. But I think that honesty is key. I think that working with friends is difficult always because you don't, you don't want to ruin the friendship. So I think that making sure that when you communicate with the people that you love around you, first and foremost, and that can usually, you know, make, make it work. So, you know, working with friends, um, it's not for everybody. And I don't think I would recommend it. And I don't want to, that people are like, oh, she regrets working with her friends. Never. I've never said that. I love the relationships that I have, but it is difficult because you have to really be, you know, you have to think through things a lot more. You can't just blow up at someone in the work, you know, we don't blow up at people, but you know what I mean? You really have to just communicate. You have to take a step back. You have to forget when you're at work, you have to forget that you know what's going on in that person's personal life. And then when you're around them on the weekend, you have to forget that you know what's going on in their work life. So you really have to set those boundaries. And for instance, I never call, I typically, I don't say never, I try never to call my friends about work on the weekends, right? We don't try to, we never call to talk work. We always, if it's after work hours and I call you in the evening, I'm typically calling to like gossip about our day, you know, like our, their children's school or pick up or, you know, ask about the kids homework or something. It's never about a work problem. And then simultaneously during the day, we try to keep it very professional. So you just have to set boundaries and have good communications, but it is not, it's not for everyone. I will say that. Setting boundaries, that's definitely an important one. And and even if you don't work with your friends, if you work with your family, I feel like that's because I know a lot of our listeners obviously are involved in family businesses. And so that's another very key piece there. Now you asked me about friends. You didn't ask me about family. That's an entirely different answer. <laughs> oh, it totally is, isn't it? Okay. If you had to build your business all over again, what are three steps that you would take? Or maybe there are just three things that you think moved your business forward the most. Oof, that is a good question. You can't you can't change because the things that you went through are what got you to where you are now. So I would say nothing. And that sounds like, well, I didn't do it perfect. We did it all wrong. But the only way that we were going to come 
to where we are is to go through those hardships. There's a, a bunch of things I wish wouldn't have happened that I wouldn't have had to live through per se, but they made me stronger. The turmoil made me a better leader, a better thinker, a more patient person, stronger in my convictions. So you have to go through all the hardships and you have to make all the wrong decisions in order to get to the end. So I wouldn't recommend or do anything different. I would say to someone new and starting that you have to go out and you have to fail as many times as you can in order to have the success at the end. So don't try to do it perfectly. Go out there and think that the road that you're paving is the right one. Um, It may not be, and we'll pave a new one, but try to forage ahead and, and make mistakes. Make so many mistakes early on because that is how you learn. Well, and two, it, the easy stuff is not what we actually learn from. It's the hard stuff. It's the sucky stuff. Like that's where you build your confidence. That is where you learn how to navigate challenges. We never learn anything from doing what we already know or like successes for the most part. No, and you'll never you'll never gain more confidence if you don't go through something difficult and come through it. And yeah, I mean we had no business plan. Like we didn't build a plan or or an organism, you know, we had nothing. We just threw it together. It was literally like a craft program, but that was what made it great is because we had to go. We basically lived in LA and we were in a motor home living in Malibu because that's all we could afford was the RV park. And we would drive into town every day and walk through downtown LA and, and sit with the sewers and the cutters and the wash houses and really learn it all that way. If we would have gone to design school which I'm not saying you shouldn't do. But if we would have done that, then I would have learned things an entirely different way, but I wouldn't have built the brand I've built because of it. So you just have to do it. You just have to go against everything that you believe and sometimes make a decision and and go with it. So if I were to give anyone advice on, on three things you must do to start a business, it would be be absolutely strong in your convictions and go into it blindly and excited and um, do not be afraid of what other people think of your of your plan. Just do it. Just do it. Okay. Aside from building a successful business, you are a parent of active children who are involved in all the things. You compete in the arena. How do you manage to stay present in all that you do? I don't. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh there is no th- there is no such thing as balance. There is no such thing as that. Everybody needs to let go of that model. Sometimes you're a really great mom and you're not really great at work. And sometimes you're really great at work and you're not so good at being a mom and you're feeding them Cheerios for dinner and you know, just falling asleep on the sofa with a movie because that's about as much as you can give at the end of the day. But you know, you're there and you're showing up. So that's the best that we can do. But that's okay. And I think that everybody needs to realize that in order to do it all, you can, you can do it all, just not all at once. That is really, really good advice. I always liken it to having like paper plates and china plates and you can drop the paper, but you know, if you drop the china, it's going to break and different things change as time goes on. But it's a tough one. Balance. I mean, we think that it's this like seamless, effortless thing and it is not and it doesn't exist. No, absolutely not. Okay. Let's get into the rapid fire round. What's the best piece of business or personal advice that you've ever been given? Trust your gut instinct on on everything with life, with business. Just trust your gut. That little voice inside your head is usually right. If you could give people any words of wisdom and you knew they would take them to heart, what would it be? Just to believe in yourself, just to believe that the path you're on is right. And sometimes you have to be patient 
and not everything happens overnight. Oh, Amanda, you have no idea how many people needed that right now. I think even I needed that. Believing in yourself is a big one. Yeah, we all just have to believe that, that we're we're on the path, right? And we just have to believe that our our time is happening and there's you know, nobody knows the deadline. You've given yourself a deadline, but nobody else knows that. So get rid of the deadline. If you could go to dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would you pick? Myself 15 years ago. Oh, that is a good answer. Would yeah. you tell her to keep going and you're going to you're going to make it? I wouldn't tell her much, but I would just tell her that it's going to be okay. Okay, this is not a question, but I'm going to ask it. Has there ever been like what was one of those like pinch me moments like holy cow, we're really doing this? The NFR every year does this to Matt and I. We have this whole moment of reflection because um, the NFR is magical, right? For those that haven't been there, you must go. It really is a magical experience. It's just whenever we're there and you're invited to places and you meet all the people and you you get to see and do and shake the hands and you see your booth and you see the people around you and we get to go to our suite at night. It really is just this moment of reflection where we think back to the days where we would sit in the nosebleeds at the at the Thomas and Mac and we would say someday we're going to sit down there or someday we're going to be here with so and so and we always get to NFR and Matt and I will look at each other and say this is someday we're living someday I think that's going to make me emotional that has to be the absolute coolest feeling ever and I will also say not that we're at the end of this by any means but I don't know of two people who are more deserving than you and Matt you guys really are the best of the best okay what's a quote that you lead your life by what is it? Shoot for the moon. That way, if you miss, you land amongst the stars. Ooh, yes. That's a good one. Okay. And then the last question, let's talk about favorite things. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, program, life hack, product, something that has changed your life in some way that you think more more people need to know about? No, but I need one. No, and I don't. I think that... <laughs> I can't think of something. I'm, usually my life hacks are things that make your day-to-day better. Like yeah. We give it, what, what, like, what's your life hack? Cooker. We eat a lot of hard-boiled eggs in my house. An egg cooker. That was the big one. You put your eggs in it, a little bit of water. It steams them. Boom. Eggs done. 10 minutes. No boiling water. No cracked eggs. Oh, okay. Well, I think I'm going to need one of those because I love hard-boiled eggs, but I oh, they're terrible to mess with. That's funny that you asked that. Every, everybody always asks what I'm reading or what podcast am I listening to. And Lindsay Perryton, our chief marketing officer, she reads everything. She listens to everything. She's just incredible in her self path for, for knowledge. And I am usually at home when I'm overwhelmed. I watch reruns of Friends and really terrible television. So our ways to decompress are so different. <laughs> so what am I reading? I'm rewatching Friends for the 10th time. So. You know, I am that same way. I feel like sometimes I just want to go home and watch like Rural Housewives or something that is absolutely like mind numbing and it doesn't make me think. And if anything, I think, man, my life's actually really good because these people are not jobs. You know, trashy television really does just make me kind of put things in perspective. So sometimes I just need a little of that to make me think, hey, everything's okay. Oh, well, we have that in common. Well, okay, that's all I have for questions. If people, obviously, everybody has heard of Kimes Ranch. If you haven't, you might be living under a rock, but where can they find you guys online? 
Absolutely. Go to kimesranch.com and you can locate any retail locations that we have or pop-up opportunities that may be coming your way. Obviously, our social medias are a wealth of knowledge. If you want to follow our journey at any events coming up, social media has what's going on. And as far as an example, we have a lot of events we put on. So check us out on all those avenues and you will find all the information and where we will be. Awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for sitting down. As I mentioned earlier, you and Matt are two of the best of the best, and I really look up to you guys and am just so consistently inspired by both of you and and all that you do and the team that you have built and the products that you've built. Like I said, there, there are no two people out there who deserve any of this more than you guys, and you guys are you know, very inspiring and are role models for the rest of the industry. So thank you for sitting down and giving people some some good advice. Thank you. Perfect. Well, with that, we will see you guys back here next week. If you've loved this episode, do us a favor and share it with someone else who might find just as much value in it as you did. We're on a mission to continue to grow and strengthen the future of agriculture and Western industries, and you spreading the word helps us make more of a positive impact. It also makes a big difference when you take a minute to go rate and review the show. We can't thank you enough for listening, for sharing, and for loving Ag and Western as much as we do. We'll see you back here for our next episode.